And I'm going to insist that Brother Jeff takes his furlough when we do our building. Amen? And uh, that way he has to build some more. Amen? No, I'm playing around with him, joking with him. But no, I appreciate that update. Looking forward to what the Lord has given Brother Christian. Glad he's back. And what the Lord is doing in his heart and life and future ministry. Praying much with him about that. What the Lord would have him to do in serving the Lord full time. We're excited about it. But Brother Christian, you come. Philippians. Right, Judah? Right? Right, Judah? Okay, I'm on. Judah says I'm on, so I must be on. Philippians chapter 4. Thank you so much, Pastor Henry and church family, for the opportunity to preach to you all a message that I am very excited to give you. Um, It's something that uh, really the Lord, I think, was starting to try to teach me my junior year of college. Um, How many of you have ever wanted to give someone a piece of your mind before? You know, we've all been there. You're standing, you're standing in line at McDonald's, you know, the place where all of us Baptists who are trying to save money go to eat. And you're standing in line, and after you told the lady your order three times, um, and she asked you to repeat a fourth time, you're already frustrated. And then when you get your order, it's not what you ordered in the first place, and you're wondering why this person who pushes buttons all day long wants $10 an hour, because they can't even get your order right. And you, you would just like to let them have a piece of your mind. Um, I am very much that way. Um, If I am not careful, I allow myself to speak way before I even think about what I'm about to say, and it often gets me in a lot of trouble. But particularly this time of year, it's easy to lose our peace of mind, our P-E-A-C-E mind. And I think there is a piece of God's mind we find here in Philippians 4, but it's not the P-I-E-C-E we'd like to give that McDonald's person for messing up our order. It's the P-E-A-C-E that only comes through Jesus Christ. Um, Philippians 4, and we're going to pick up in verse number 9. I have seven points in 30 minutes, so hold on tight. Uh, Philippians 4, verse 9, that the, the scripture says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the peace of God that we can have today in the midst of um, what ought to be the most peaceful time of year because of the Prince of Peace who came to our world. Our society tries to turn it into nothing but a materialistic, chaotic time of year. And so I pray that this message would be an encouragement to some who maybe through the course of this year need a little bit of peace. And I pray that all of us will be helped because of it, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. The first principle I would like us to see tonight, for those of you who either, you know, this is a very stressful time and you've lost track of your peace, or maybe it's been a long, long time since you've experienced the peace of God. These seven principles, while they're not exhaustive about peace, I really think will will make a difference in you starting the new year and you recovering from the holiday stress. And the first one is found in verse number one, and I call it the defense of peace. The defense of peace. The scripture says in verse one of Philippians four, therefore, my beloved, dearly, my brethren, my dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. The defense of peace. That is resolve to stand. Hey, if you want peace tonight, in order for you to make it from verse one to verse nine, you need to make a decision right in your mind. No matter what you're going through, that no matter what happens, I'm going to stand fast in the Lord. You must resolve to stand. I would like to direct your attention to the fact that reality is filled with problems. How many of you have problems? Raise your hand. 
Okay, that's basically almost all of us. And if you're not raising your hand, congratulations, tomorrow you'll probably find one. Because this world's full of problems. We live in a sin-cursed world, and it's easy to lose peace. But hey, regardless of your circumstances, Paul, by the way, writing from prison to a church that was being persecuted and living in poverty, he's writing to them, hey, stand fast in the Lord. I'd also like to call your attention to that word at the very beginning of the verse, and that is, therefore. Now, you've all been in a good Bible-preaching church, and you know that when you see the preacher starting a verse that says, therefore, you ought to wonder what it's there for. And so I believe Paul is referring to back to chapter 3. And he's going to explain why should we stand? What's the point? Why can't I just throw in the towel? I've had enough. The first reason is found in Philippians 3, verse 13. It says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Why should, I, why should I be willing to stand fast in the Lord? What's the big deal? Why can't I quit? Well, number one, this is not the end. Your situation is not the end. I don't, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what you are going through particularly. It could be a financial crisis. It could be a loss of a loved one. It's, I, I've been out of touch with the church for a while, so I'm not really sure what's happening in your lives. And a lot of you, there's so many of us, it's really hard to keep track of it. But no matter what you're facing, it's not the end. This isn't the final chapter of your life. You have a future with God in heaven. Paul, writing from prison, was able to forget those things and reach forth to things ahead of him and press toward that mark because he knew this was not the end. This, was, this prison cell, these chains that were binding him to Roman law, was not the end of his race. His race would not end until he stood before Jesus Christ. Just like you, your race does not stop until you reach heaven's gates. And until you do, there's always hope. You must stand fast for peace because this is not the end. But not only is it not the end, verse 13, but verse 14, there is coming judgment. Philippians 3, 14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That little word mark is where we get our word skeptic or skepticism. It has the idea of an examination. He's pressing toward a time where he's going to be examined by Jesus Christ for his reward. Hey, why should you stand fast? Why can't I just give up? Because you are going to be judged on the basis of your faithfulness. And that ought to encourage you to press on. How shameful would it be for you to give up on something compared to God is really a small problem because God's an omnipotent God. And you stand before him and he says, was I not worth it for you to continue just a little longer? Could you not have sought me to help you with this issue? I don't want to be in that place. And by the way, if you admit defeat for the sake of peace, it's not real peace. It's a false peace. Peace can only come when you decide in your mind, no matter what happens, I'm going to do what's right. By the way, that, that gives you comfort almost immediately. Not perfect comfort, but you feel a sense of relief when you feel a situation come up that you weren't expecting and you're tempted to worry and like, oh no, what am I going to do? And then you stop, wait a minute, no matter what happens, I'm going to do right. You immediately feel a sense of relief because your mind knows I have a plan and I have a plan to do right. You can stand fast because this is not the end and there is coming judgment. But third... I direct your attention to verse number 17 of Philippians 3. Why should you stand fast in the Lord? 
for peace, and that's because other people are watching you. It says in verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and there's that word again, mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. People are watching you. Paul was encouraging believers to watch his example and watch those who have his example. Did you know that you need to stand fast because people depend on you? This church depends on your faithfulness. Well, how do you know that, preacher? Because you're in the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 12. Therefore, you have a purpose. And when you lose your peace, you compromise the peace of the entire church. Because it only takes one person, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but it only takes one person to stop the unity of the entire church. And if you allow your peace to be compromised, and by the way, I'm not talking about a feeling of peace. Peace is not a feeling. Peace is resting in God. It's not this thing where you feel like your problems aren't there or you're hiding away from the world. Peace is resting in the Lord, trusting him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. It is rest. It's exactly what God offers us in Romans 5, 1, where it says, therefore, being justified by, by, by his blood, we have peace with God, reconciled to God, and we're able to rest in his care. Um, when, you, when you refuse to stand fast in the Lord, you are hurting those behind you. Now, it's like a line. It's like a line of people in front of me and a line of people behind me. Behind me are people that are still growing, that have not reached the point of spirituality I am. And by the way, we're all growing. Ahead of me are the examples I look to. Now get this. When you quit, when you give up, you are hurting everyone behind you. And all of you, no matter how old you are as a Christian, have someone watching you that's behind you. And when you allow yourself to be thrown off, you compromise the Christianity of those behind you. Well, they're going to answer for their own walk with God. Yes, they are. But you are going to answer for your influence in their decisions. Parents, co-workers, friends that have friends. Hopefully all of us have friends. That'd be a sad world. But those of you that have any relationship whatsoever, people are watching you. You need to stand fast, not only for your peace, but so other Christians can have peace as well. So you can reconcile this lost and dying world to the peace of God by you being strong, deciding in your mind, no matter what happens, I'll do what's right. Quickly, point number two. Not only do we see the, the, um, the, the, um, the resolve to stand, but second, I want you to see remain in unity. That's what I call the strength of peace found in verse two. It says, I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I treat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with, my, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, it looks like from this text that whoever these two ladies are got in a little tiff with each other. I mean, isn't that embarrassing if you think about it? These two ladies caused such a problem in church that the Apostle Paul had to write a letter. Could you imagine how embarrassed they'd be? At first, Paul starts off the letter wonderfully. He starts off talking about, hey, no matter what happens with the gospel, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to rejoice because the gospel is preached. In chapter 2, we read about having the mind of Christ. In chapter 3, we read about forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. Yodas and Cynthia are probably like, man, that's so encouraging. And then you get to chapter 4, verse 2, and then they're, they're probably sinking a little lower in the pew as they hear their names called. That'd be embarrassing. But you know what? That tells us something about conflict. God takes it seriously. God takes two ladies not getting along seriously, which means directly that we ought to take it seriously as well. There was a threat of conflict. Conflict steals the peace of the individual. 
If you ha- look this way, you can disagree with me all you want. There's no Bible for your position. I'm sorry. You, if you have someone you're not right with, you do not have the peace of God. You don't. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. If you have a problem with someone else, you do not have the peace of God. And by the way, it's impossible to be right with God and wrong with someone else. You can't have it both. You can't have it like that. If you want peace, you must remain in unity. Not only was there a threat of conflict, but there was a tear in the unity. The effectiveness of Christ's church can be clogged by one person. You can be the barrier that stands between what God wants to do for Fosteria Baptist Church. And if that doesn't bother you, there's a heart problem. You have a heart issue, and you need to get it right. Because the cause of Christ ought to be more important than you're wrong with someone else. And that should provoke you to be right. Hey, this is supposed to be an encouraging message. If you want peace, just, just, just be in unity. Put aside your differences and be willing to be humble enough to, to come to the other person and admit that there's an issue that needs to be resolved. Now, this is interesting. Not only was there a terror in the unity, there was a command for treatment. Look what the text says. This fascinates me. It says, I beseech Jonas and Syntyche uh, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And then verse, verse number three, it says, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women. Not only does he put the responsibility on Yodius and Syntyche to get right, but he also puts it on the responsibility of the church to help them get right. That tells, and that word help, that doesn't have the idea of, oh, someone fell over, let me help you up. That actually has the idea of tying them up and carrying them away. It's, 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 it's the same word that has the idea of arresting someone. Now, isn't that interesting? That's a pretty serious word to use for two ladies that just aren't getting along with each other. But again, God takes conflict seriously because it disrupts what he's trying to do. What, what, what am I getting at? You must be urgent. Now, this is an unpopular, un-American idea of what I'm about to say. But it is your responsibility to help other people get along. God has called us to be peacemakers, When we give the gospel, we are peacemakers. We're trying to make peace between men and God. And here in Philippians 4, God is trying to make peace between Christian and Christian. That's your responsibility. And when you refuse to do what's right, now you're in the wrong. We have an obligation to help you. Well, how do I do that? Number one, quickly, and we've got to move fast, encourage resolution. You notice two people aren't getting along with each other? You must take the time and be, and be bold enough, but loving enough in the word of God to encourage a resolution to say, hey, I notice, I, I've been noticing lately that there's possibly something going on between you and someone else. Hey, I think the cause of Christ is more important than this. Is there some way I can help you? Now, let me tell you, I, I would not like to hear that, but I would, if someone came to me like that, I would hope I would listen. And if I didn't, that shows not just me, but, the rest, but those who are talking with me that there's a problem that needs to be fixed. Encourage resolution. Oh, here's a good one. Prohibit gossip. Please, stop gossiping. There is nothing good in gossiping whatsoever. Now, we know that, but let me, let me, let me tell you what gossiping is. Gossiping is not only talking about someone behind their back, but it's closely associated. It, it's kissing cousins for West Virginians in the room. For slander. Slander is casting a negative light on anybody, even if they deserve it. 
By the way, slander is exactly what Satan does to us when he's before the throne of God. When you are casting negative lights on someone else, it is devilish. In fact, the Greek word for slander is the same word used for devil. And what is Satan called? The accuser of the brethren. Do you not understand that there is not a moment in eternity until God brings all things to an end? Satan does not cease standing before God and saying, look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. He's your child, and yet he's doing this. That's what we do when we cast negative light on other people. Gossiping prohibits unity. You ought to stop it. You can be an, you can be an agent of change just by not repeating what someone else is telling you. you oh, hey, watch the look on their face when you come to them saying, did you hear what so-and-so did? No, I didn't. Let's go talk to them about it. That'll stop it real quick, won't it? And they'll probably won't come back to you. If we all prohibit gossiping, we would be amazed at the kind of peace we would experience in the body of Christ. Number three, pray for conflicts. It ought to be a ministry of your personal time with the Lord to pray for the conflicts of other people. Number four, confront the individual. When I think of confronting an individual, um, I had, okay, so a uh, really quick story. I had, for a counseling class, I had to memorize all these points, and one of those points was confronting the problem. And in order to help me remember that one point for the test, I drew a picture of Edna from The Incredibles. How many of you have seen The Incredibles? Okay, look at all these carnal hands raising their hands. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. Um, in The Incredibles, you see this little picture of Edna, you know, the little short lady that beats Elastigirl with the newspaper, saying, pull yourself together. Is this not ringing a bell to anyone? No one's laughing at my joke. Okay. Anyway, right after that, she says, go, confront the problem. I drew that picture to help me remember that point. And oddly enough, it's helped me remember this point for this part of my message. But that's exactly what it is. Confront the problem. If you notice two people having an issue, you go and confront it. Now, some of you, okay, that this does not mean grabbing your Bible like, like a machine gun, blasting through the room and say, you ungodly sinner and you ungodly sinner need to get right with each other. That's, no, that, that contradicts Ephesians 4. In order, to do, in order to confront the problem, you must speak truth, but speak the truth in love. That's, in or, that's how we help each other. That's how we help avoid conflicts and to resolve issues. And uh, lastly, be humble for correction. Um, if someone's coming to you and pointing out some way you need to change, you ought to be humble enough to receive it. Um, oh, and going back to slander real quick and we'll move on to the next point. If you're slandering, not only is it devilish, but according to, according to Romans 15 and according to other parts of the Bible, you're a candidate for church discipline. Just throwing it out there. I mean, it's, there's no biblical basis for it. It, it hurts the church. Um, moving on. Uh, point number three, the war cry for peace. We saw... <clears throat> Excuse me. We, we just saw the strength of peace. Now, third, we're going to see the war cry for peace, and that is rejoice in the Lord. And I love this verse. Um, verse number four, rejoice in the Lord. How often? Always. And again, I say rejoice. This is a command. This tells me something fascinating about joy. It's not a feeling. Joy is not a feeling. If you're looking for a feeling when you think of joy, you're going to miss it. Joy is an action. Joy is praising God for his goodness despite your circumstances. Rejoicing has an audible idea to it. When someone is rejoicing, you hear it. When you are going through your circumstances, do you want peace in your life? You must rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because it's a command of focus. It's turning your attention from your present circumstances on the goodness of God. And when you're filled with the goodness of God, it gives you cause to rejoice. And it makes it easy to rest in the Lord. Now, let me tell you, that takes faith in order to be spiritual enough 
to gaze from your problems onto God's goodness takes some faith. That's why James 1, verse 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Why? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. There is a direct relationship to having joy because your faith is being stretched. There's a relationship. The more you allow God to stretch your faith and you respond with joy, the more, the more easy, the, that's, bad, that's bad English, more easy, the easier it is for peace to rule your heart. And we're going to get into more of that as, as we go on. The strength of your joy is the strength of your faith. If you are a joyless Christian, you are a faithless Christian because faith rejoices. Faith is joyful. Now, again, joy is not a feeling. I'm not saying you should be all giddy and bubbly in every situation. No. It's po- Do you know it's possible to have sorrow and joy at the same time? They're not exclusive from each other. Because, again, joy is being willing, despite the hurt in your heart, to praise God because of who he is. It's a buoyancy that carries you through the midst of your storms. The only alternative to joy is despair. Or complaining. You, 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 have one, you have one of two options. You can either rejoice or you can despair. You can either pro- praise God for his goodness or you can focus on your problems. You, you, it's one of two options. If I were you, I'd vote for rejoicing in the Lord because it secures your peace. Um, you grow faith by growing in your knowledge and your discipline. If you need, it, it, to, to practice joy is a Christian discipline. If, if you're experiencing a hard time and it's not easy for you to praise, praise God in the midst of it, which, by the way, it's hard for all of us, memorize scripture. Pray with others about it. Do what it takes to give your, oh, give testimonies. Now, I'll be honest. Testimony time is one of my, and this is just my carnal nature speaking, but this is, testimony time is one of my least favorite times in church. You know why? Because I'm the type where I like to get right to the preaching. That's what I'm, I know this is bad. By the way, this isn't good. I'm the type where I'm like, uh, you know, I just want to get on with the message, hear, hear God's word, and then go home. That's what I want. But really, giving testimonies is a crucial part of the service. You know why? Because when I hear so-and-so giving praise to God despite what they're going through, man, I bet I can probably have some joy. It kind of makes my problems look a little smaller, doesn't it? When you hear, oh, man, I hear, you think you had it. You, you know the expression, I complained about not having very good shoes until I met a man with no feet. It makes, it makes your problems seem smaller. Giving testimony is a wonderful way to practice joy, and it will help secure your peace. Testimony time is important. Don't be carnal like me and ignore testimonies. It's not a good thing. Um, it is not only a choice of faith, but it's a cry of victory. Hey, those of you who served in our United States military, when do soldiers rejoice in battle? At the end, when it's all fought and won. But notice verse number four says, rejoice in the Lord always. Why do I rejoice now in the midst of my current battle? That seems unnatural because in the mindset of God, the battle is already over. It's already finished. So I can rejoice because in God's plan, this is already defeated. This cannot conquer me. Christ says in John 16, these things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. In this world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's Christ speaking to you. You can have joy. You can have peace because Christ conquered all things. And no matter what it is I am facing, I can have joy. The world, the flesh, and the devil has no rights to my joy or my peace. 
and they shouldn't have any rights to yours either. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Point number four, uh, the control of peace. Verse number five, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That word moderation has the idea of restraining or holding back from. This, this principle is what I call the restraint, restraining your passions, the control of peace. Um, it's, a, it's the idea of gentleness, um, a, a tolerance, if you will. Um, not only with people, but even in your circumstances. It's not, here's what it is, it's not acting out of emotion. It's acting out of a spiritual response. It's holding back that temptation to lash out at that McDonald's co-worker that messed up my order. It's that, it's that control over complaining and griping when, and when, my, when things aren't going my way. And not only, not only is it a temper of my character, but it's a testimony of my character. It says, let it be known unto all men. That means when people see me, they ought to see me as a person of self-control. And if not, I'm not going to have peace. If, if, you're, if you're the type that's like me sometimes, where it's easy for you to fly off the handle, say goodbye to peace. Because you're disowning it each time you do it. If you want to have peace, not only with God in your own life, but even with other people, you must have control over your passions. Um, by the way, now how, I say this all the time, and it's not right. We need to really watch what we say. Um, I say, well, I don't care what they think. I, find, I say that so many times. But you know, in reality, I should care what people think. I should, because I'm a Christian. Because God, you know why we ought to care what others think? Because Christ cares how we act. And because Christ cares how we act, I ought to care what others think. Because what others think of me is a reflection of what they'll think of Christ. Because I am a Christian, a Christ-bearer. To the lost man, I am probably the... This is, this is probably sad because I'm talking about myself. But for the lost man who does not go to church, who could care less about God, I'm the best representation of Christ he'll ever get. When you think in those terms, it kind of motivates you to have a little more self-control. We need to be careful for our testimony, not for, only for the sake of our peace, but again, we are peacemakers. To reconcile someone else to God, we ought to be a pretty good picture of reconciliation. And if not, praise God, because his help is available. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And I'm thankful I don't have to be defined by my weaknesses. And this is why Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep, guard, protect thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Hey, friend, if you knew that there was a salesman that was ripping off every one of your neighbors on your block, if he knocked on your door, you're not going to listen to a word he had to say, because you know he's a con. But at the same time, we are so quick to listen to how we feel, our emotions, when they're just fickle streams of water flowing from a wicked, deceitful heart that's beyond understanding. That's how quick we are to act by our emotions. We shouldn't. Don't live the life by how you feel. Restrain your passions. So that is the control of peace. Now I would like to see point five, the guardian of peace. I got three to go. Oh, my. Okay. Um, relinquish your cares. Uh, that, verse number six. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Now, notice where, where, where you read the peace of God. Okay, it is in the midst of all of these other commands. 
Uh, stand fast in the Lord. Um, I beseech these people that they be of the same mind. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Let your, com- let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. They're all imperatives, which means in the, in, in the, in the grammar here, and it's not, you don't get peace just by asking for it. You get peace by obedience. I'll deal more with that in number 7 if we get to it. Um, but here, the guardian of peace, relinquish your cares. This is a command. I want everyone to get this, okay? So this might not register at first. This is a command to disown your problems. Because God owns you, therefore, God owns your problems. Which really, our problems are technically not our problems. We may cause our own problems, but legally, from the Bible standpoint, they're God's problems. When I mess up, it's God's problem. He owns me. Now, I still have a responsibility to make it right, but that, that does not mean I should live in guilt or despair over my present circumstances because God owns me. That's why it says, be careful, be full of care. Don't be anxious of anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Only then will God's peace, which is incomprehensible, which passes all understanding, shall keep your heart and mind. If you want peace to guard your heart and your mind, you must stop living in insubordination to what God has the rightful ownership of. God owns your problems. So when you allow yourself at night, some of you aren't sleeping at night because you're worrying about things that are sinful. It's sinful. Worry is a sin. It's a sin you must confess and you must forsake, not only for the sake of your sanity, but for the sake of your relationship with God. Peace is readily available. Uh, you must disown your problems. It's a call to seek God's power. You ever wonder why some problems require a longer length of time to pray about than others do? I think part of it is because this problem charges us so much emotionally that when we pray and we say, God, we trust you, we don't mean it. We're still focused on the problem. And it's only until after we continuously pray time and time and time again where we start focusing less and less and less on the problem and more and more and more about God's power. That's why sometimes one big problem isn't going to be solved by one simple prayer. Because when you say, God, I believe you can do this, you're still distracted by your problem. Prayer changes things. It's a continuous action. It's a consequence of peace's protection. When you refuse to give God your problem, you expose your mind and your heart to despair when they could be guarded with God's peace. When you, refuse to, when you refuse to surrender the ownership of your problems, you are exposing your mind and heart to despair because only God can take care of it. Um, that is the guardian of peace. Number six. Oh, man. We're close. Don't worry. Don't, don't look at the time. I'm, only I'm allowed to do that. And Pastor Henry. He said I could go for six, for, for six hours, so I think I have a little bit of time. The mind of peace, verse, uh, uh, point number six. Verse number eight. Now, don't, don't worry, Pastor Henry. I'm not going to dissect every single you know, word in this verse. That, that would be an entire series all of its own. That would be terrible if I wasted a lot of time doing that right here tonight. I think you all want to get home and move on with prayer. Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are of good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, I only have time for these two things. Real quick, get this. Number one, you can control how you think. Where you say, well, I can't help it. That's just the way I am. Then change. Why would you want to be stuck being who you are? I mean, I like you, but God has a better plan for you. He wants to conform you to be more like him. 
You can control what you think. This verse commands it. God's not going to command you to do something he's not going to enable you to do. Second thing we notice about this is think on things that are true. That means think on things that are real. Some of you are like me, where you have a problem and you lay in bed at night. Well, if that happens, then this could happen. Oh, man, and if that happens, this could happen. And then what am I going to do if that happens? That is contradicting this verse. To think on things that are true means to think on things which are. And if I am consuming my thoughts with possible wrongs, then I'm not thinking on things that are true. 90% of our sanity would be saved if we would just stop worrying about things we can't control. Because we are to think on things that are true. In order to think on things that are true, you must think on things that are real. You've heard the expression, 90% of our, the things we worry about never happen. And that is, that is a very, very truthful statement. Seven, and I'm done. The promise of peace. Render your obedience. Those things, verse 9, hey, we ended up back in verse 9. Look at that. And I made it in 30 minutes. Yes, okay. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I want everyone to look this way, and I'm done. I'm already starting to go 60 seconds over. When you obey this book, you have peace. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. The truth is simple. Obey God's word, have God's peace. Disobey God's word, disown God's peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this message, and I thank you that your peace is readily available. And I pray that those who need the encouragement will start practicing these things tonight. It's a continual life journey. But I pray, dear God, that you would make us the better for it. Help us to be diligent in securing your peace, not only for our sakes, but for the sake of a lost and dying world. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Pastor.